If you will turn with me into your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 23, 2 Samuel chapter 23, now you're going to have to forgive me, some of these uh, names are hard to pronounce, so if I slaughter them, please forgive me and give me grace. Verse 8 says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josh Abashabeth, the Tecmanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. And after him was Eleazar, Eleazar, the son of Dodu, (laughs) the Aphrodite. One of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated, he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. For the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Herorite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines so that the Lord brought about a great victory. Father God, we thank you this night for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive, that you would open our minds, Lord, that we can understand the scriptures. I pray, Lord Jesus, not only our minds, but our hearts to receive it, that it would transform us and that we would leave here, Lord, with a fresh look at the scriptures and that we would leave here transformed by the renewing of our mind as we set our mind upon your word tonight. I pray, Lord, that every word that is said, Lord, would bring you the glory and we give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a, a show called The World's Strongest Man. It's a strongman competition that's broadcast in the U.S. in the summers. And the show began back in 1977, and it still continues today. They gather annually to compete to see who's number one, to see who's the strongest, who's the mightiest. And throughout history, people have always been obsessed with physical strength. But tonight I want to talk to you about some of the mightiest men that ever lived, David's mighty men. I want to title this sermon, From Misery to Mighty. From Misery to Mighty. Just to give you a little background, if you go back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, we find King David is a fugitive on the run from, from King Saul. Actually, David is not king yet. He's on the run from King Saul, and he finds, we find him in a cave where he is hiding, and, and his brothers find out that he's there, and they come to him, and these men come to him, and the scripture says in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel Uh, Verse 1, it said, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there was about 400 men 
with him. I just want to set that stage for you tonight that these men that are mighty men that we're going to read about tonight were not always mighty. When they came to David, they were in distress. They were discontented. They were in debt. But God made them to be mighty men of God, from misery to mighty. So the first man that we want to look at tonight, going back to our text in verse 8, is a man by the name of Adino. He was a man who would face the odds. He was outnumbered 800 to 1. That's some pretty big numbers to be outnumbered by. 800 to 1. We have the same account, which we won't read it tonight, but if you want to read later, in Chronicles chapter 11 of this same account with some uh, more details and a little bit of difference, but basically the same. But Aldino was a man who was outnumbered, but he would face the odds. And it tells us that he lifted up his spear if we read it in Chronicles, he lifted up his, steer, his spear and he took out 800 men at one time. He was courageous. He was courageous. He was a mighty man. Courage is exposed when we're in crisis. How many believe that that would be a crisis when there's just one of you and 800 of them? He didn't give up when he seen that he was outnumbered, although this was an extraordinary event, and it was. But you have to remember that it was no more strange than Samson killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey in Judges 15. These men stepped out in courage. It was a courage built upon trust, trust in the Spirit of the Lord to empower them. For the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson, as he did upon Aldino. Courage will keep you in the game when others are running away. He was courageous. He was up against odds that did not seem like he would make it, but he trusted in the Lord and he was courageous. Not only was he courageous, but he was confident. Aldino was willing to do much with little, He believed God for much for with what little that he had. He didn't have an army of men of 800. There was him against the odds of 800, but he believed God for much with the little that he had. The odds were against him, but it was as if he said, if God is for me, that's enough. But you know, today you think, now how does that apply to us today, but God is still looking for men and women to believe Him for great things. He's still looking for men and women to be courageous, to be confident, to know that His Spirit going before us, that we can do things that are against the odds. You recall King David when he faced Goliath. The odds were against him there as well. He was just a shepherd boy. Facing the giant who come against the uh, Israelites. And here is this young shepherd boy out tending his father's sheep, out probably practicing with his sling, caring for the sheep, protecting the sheep, defending them. But he was up against some odds when he came back to bring his brothers that lunch and heard that Goliath was defying the Israelites. But we know the story how that he was said that you come to me with spear and with, with 
armor and I come to you in the name of the Lord. He knew where his faith was. He knew where his power was. He was courageous and he was confident in his God. He was mighty in his faith, not in faith alone, but in faith in the Lord. He was probably singing psalms and practicing with his swing, but you see, it wasn't because he was so good with that sling. It was because he knew who the, the Lord was. He knew the name of God. He knew that it was the name of the Lord that would cause him to prevail. He knew that ultimately the battle was the Lord's. For it was the Lord who brought about a great victory that day, we read also in our text. It was the Lord who did it. But you say, how can we increase in our faith? How can we grow in our faith? But this takes us to the next mighty man of David. We read about Eleazar. He was a man who would finish the mission. Eleazar was a man who, after everyone else had retreated, he stood and he fought the Philistines until his hand was weary. Now, he's my favorite out of the three that I'm going to talk to you tonight. And the reason is, is because this is bringing us to something that is my passion. He had a sword in his hand, and his hand grew weary, and his hand was tired, and he stayed and fought, but his hand was weary. He was depleted. But you see, his hand was stuck to the sword. When everyone else pulled back, Eliezer, it says, stood up and he pushed forward and he fought till he was exhausted. But even though his hand was worn out, his hand clung to the sword and he grasped his sword firmly. He didn't lose his grip, although he was very weary and he was depleted, but he would not be disarmed. He held on to his sword. And you say, why does that get you all excited? It's just a sword. Because the scriptures say that the word of God is a sword. We read that Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians 6 and 17 says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the sword represents the Word of God. And in the same way that Eliezer's hand clung to his sword, our hearts should be molded around, locked around the Word of God. Locked around the Word of God. Eliezer was tired. He's tired. He's standing there fighting these Philistines. It says that when they defied the Philistines, they were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel retreated. They left. He was left alone. It says he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about the great victory that day, but he held on to that sword. He was tired but he found his strength as he held on to his sword. He didn't become disarmed. If he would have let go of that sword, he would have no longer been armed, but he held to his sword. He would not become disarmed. He would not let his guard down. We have uh, chickens at my house, and they are slowly uh, losing them because we have this chicken hawk who likes to sit and watch for my chicken so he can grab one and take it off and eat it. 
I was thinking of him in this sermon because, you know, he waits. He's, he's, he's really watching them to see whether or not they're going to come out of our little house that we have for them so he can swoop down and get them when they're disarmed, when they're unaware, when they're not watching for him. And, you know, in the same way, when we lay down the Word of God, we're disarming ourselves. When we don't pick up the Word and we don't know what the Scripture says, and the enemy comes in and, and tries to bring discouragement, you can't win this battle. You can't overcome that addiction. You can't, you, you'll never make it out. And you begin to listen to these lies because you've laid down your guard. You've laid down your weapon. And just like that chicken hawk stands up in that tree to watch for when they come out and when they're not looking for him, the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But I've got news, good news tonight, that if you will pick up the Word of God and you will be like Eliezer, that mighty man of David, and you will hold on to it to where they have to pry your hands off of it, you've got that sword, then you can stand and you can be victorious because you see, Jesus already won the victory. We're not coming to a place of victory, but we've already coming from, He's already won the victory. So we can stand on the Word of God and know that He is for us. So Eliezer, he was depleted, but he was driven. He had confidence in, and he was familiar with his sword. The faith that he had in his sword could come only from his familiarity with it. You see, David's men were trained for battle. They were experts with their shield and their spear, Chronicles tells us. We've got to know what the Word says. We can't just, you know, here and there pick it up and not be familiar with what it says because if we're not familiar with what the Scripture says, what sounds good we may believe when it's not really truth. You know, you hear them say, well, the Lord helps those that help themselves. That's not Scripture. God helps those that cannot help themselves because He is that one that will step in when we don't know what to do. He's the one that will redeem us and bring us out of situations when we don't know how we're going to get out. It's important that we're familiar with our sword. David's men were experts with their shield and their spear. And in the same way, if we want to increase in our faith, if we want to grow in our faith in God, we've got to be familiar with our sword. You say, I want to be a person of greater faith. I want to grow and increase in my faith. How do I grow and increase my faith? Well, Romans 10 and 17 says, Though then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by the Word of God, by hearing it, not by it sitting on our table somewhere, but by us picking up our sword like Eliezer and holding to it and clinging to it and standing upon it and knowing that God's Word will prevail. Now, we don't fight battles like they did in David's time any longer. The Bible says we don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a spiritual battle. He's already, Jesus has already won the victory, but we still are fighting a battle that we've got to have on the whole armor of God. The battles we fight are spiritual. The battlefield is the mind. 
when our hearts are locked around the Word of God, when we not only hear with our ears but open our hearts, He comes with a transformation. It's not information only. It's good to study. We need to love the Lord with our mind, but it's not just our mind and the information, but it's a transformation that He will bring about. He will give you new thoughts and ways of thinking, new understanding, new drives, new passions for the things of God. You will begin to think differently when you put your mind upon the Word. You will begin to have different longings and desires for for things that he's put in your heart instead of things that turn you away from him when jesus ascended to the father he poured out the holy spirit upon us and the bible says that the holy spirit is our helper he's our teacher he's our reminder of the words of jesus and the power of the holy spirit will make us mighty men and women of god transforming us from wimps to warriors from victims to victors, from losers to leaders, the Holy Spirit will transform us as we set our minds and our hearts upon the Word of God. He will give us that understanding and transforming in our hearts. So not only was Eliezer depleted and he held to that sword, but he was driven. How are you dealing with your sword? Is it important enough for you to pick it up daily? Is it important enough for you to have a routine that you come to it daily and let it guide you? Or is it just another book? If I have time, I might pick it up. We make time for other things. Is it important enough to you? And the third man we look at was a man who stood steadfast, Shema. Shema was a man who stationed himself in the middle of the field. Let's look back at our text. Verse 11. After him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite. For the Philistines had gathered together in a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And so the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field. He defended it, and he killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Lentils. Basically a pea patch. But it was the land that God had given to the Israelites. It was the king's land. Shammah was a man who stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it. He was a faithful man, and what may have seemed to others as insignificant, Shema realized that that patch of beans belonged to the king. And the enemy of his king was coming to take what did not belong to him, and Shema was going to defend it. For God is looking for people who will take their stand in whatever field God has placed you. You may think, oh, well, it's no big deal for me to work in the nursery and rock those babies. Yes, it is. You're doing it as unto the Lord. You may think, well, I work in the parking lot and it's no big deal. But it is. There's no small people. There's no small task for God. It's all important. And you may say, well, that was just lentils. That was just a pea patch. But that property belonged to the king. And Shema stationed himself and defended it. 
Can you stand alone for what is right when others go back? You see, they all retreated again. Shema is standing by himself, stationed in the middle to defend this patch of lentils. Can you stand when everyone else leaves? Can you stand for what is right? There's such influence today in our culture to be swept away, to not stand for or defend anything. They said, just don't rock the boat, just go along with it, just be politically correct and not stand for what is right. But can we stand and stand for what is right, even if we stand alone? He was a man who stood steadfast. He was firm. There was no compromise. He was not complacent. He didn't just say, well, it's just a, a, you know, a field of lentils and a pea patch. I'm not going to even worry about that. But he was not complacent, but he was firm in his stance. Our commitment to the Lord and to his work sometimes becomes just too casual. If I have time, I might make it on a Wednesday night, but, you know, I've got a busy week. I've got to work every night, and I'm tired. <laughs> and we all get tired, but... Where's your commitment? You know, you've committed to, to doing a certain work for the Lord. Well, if I have time, well, if I have enough money, I might give in the offering. Is your commitment casual? Or is it something that's important to you? When people have courage enough to believe in something, they will not stand on the sidelines, but they will stand in the middle of the field stationing themselves in the middle of the field, not out here on the sidelines. Get involved. Get, get where God wants you and, and be a man or a woman who stands steadfast. Even when everyone else leaves, you're going to stand steadfast. He was firm and he was faithful. Shema not only stood, but he defended the crop of the Israelites. He was not willing to allow the Philistines to deprive the Israelites of necessary supplies. This bean patch belonged to the king. Do things that matter to God matter to you? Do people that matter to God matter to you? It was important to the Lord, so it was important to Shema, even though to us it didn't seem like much, but it was important. Shema was faithful in even the smallest of tasks, for there's no small task, there's no small people to the Lord. He was protecting that being filled, and yet he's called a mighty man of God. We would think, well, that's not mighty, he's just a, you know, a bean patch, but he stood and defended it, and the Bible calls him a mighty man of God. Whatever we do, if we do it as unto the Lord, we do it for the glory of God. It is mighty. Shema was loyal to the king. He was devoted even to the smallest of tasks, and he was faithful. God is still looking for mighty men and women of God. I love this scripture. Second Chronicles 16 and 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong, on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. He's still looking for mighty men and mighty women of God, looking to and fro throughout the earth who He can show Himself strong in on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. Let's look at verse 13. We only read through 12. We're going to go on to verse 13 with our last point. 
Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Raphim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with a longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. He said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who were in jeopardy, who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. David was longing for home. Bethlehem was his home, and he's in the cave just thinking and longing out loud. You ever been there? I was thinking, you know, uh, sometimes when I'm eating someone else's chicken and dumplings, it's just not the same as my grandma's. And I start having a longing for my grandma's chicken and dumplings. There's just nothing like her dumplings. And, you know, know, he could have had, it doesn't say that he didn't have water. He may have had water right there, but he was longing for home. He was longing for just a, a taste of water from Bethlehem's gate. And the three overheard him saying this. He could just taste it, and he's just kind of dreaming. That all of David's men had one thing in common. They loved the king more than they loved their own lives, and they were willing to risk it all for him. They went and got this water for their king. It was a great risk to get the king this wish. It was a 12-mile trek approximately one way and they had to break through the enemy's line but they did it and they bring it gladly to him these were valiant warriors of God they were going to do something for their king because they loved him and they made that extra effort to do this they bring it to him and David does not drink it you know the most courageous thing sometimes that we can do is serve others. They were serving their king, putting others before ourselves, being obedient when no one else, trusting and being obedient to the king, even at the risk of our own personal safety. And this is what they were doing. But David refused to drink it. David is greatly moved at the honor that they extend to them. There was no command for them to do this, but it demonstrated a loyalty that they had for their king. King David was overwhelmed by this honor. He was overwhelmed by their love for him. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be a servant. These men were being a servant to David. David believed that that great sacrifice of these men could only be honored by giving the water to the Lord. And so he poured it out, the scripture says, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. He said, far be it from me that I should do this thing. They were willing to risk it all for their king. These mighty men of David were not always mighty, as we talked in the beginning. Remember, they were men that were in debt and discontented, and and they were discouraged men. They were defeated men, but yet they came 
out of their distress and debt and out of their discontent, they came to David and God raised them up to be mighty men of God. And just as in David's day, there is still a king. We're getting ready to celebrate his birth, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's still a king who is gathering around him a company of people who are in distress in debt, discontented. He's teaching them and training them and filling them with His Spirit, preparing them to do great things for God, making them mighty men and women of God. The Scripture says again, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him as he is looking will he see you and I that want to be mighty men and women of God that we can be used of him will we be strong in the Lord as Ephesians 6 says be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might this scripture has been going over and over in my mind Lord I want to be strong in you I want to be mighty in you I think of Apollos I, I love Apollos as he said he was a man who was mighty in the scriptures he was fervent in spirit and I want to be that way to where Lord I want to be strong in your word I want to be fervent in your spirit a mighty woman or man of God so be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might I've got some scriptures I want to leave with you tonight just being strong in the Lord and it talks about the power and the strength of the Lord he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might he increases strength Isaiah 40 29 my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73, 26. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. Proverbs 10, 29. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Psalm 62, 7. In Thee I cried out, and you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. Psalm 138 and 3. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise Him. Psalm 28, 7. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Psalm 147.5 What is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power? Ephesians 1 and 19 He that would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Ephesians 3.16 He said, My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. It's His strength. It's His power that makes us mighty. It wasn't the strength of Aldino or Eliezer or or of Shema, but it was the power of God that rested upon them just as he rested upon Gideon and upon David. He rests, but he now, he see, he poured out the Holy Spirit when he ascended, and now not only does the Holy Spirit rest upon us, but the Holy Spirit lives within us. And we can do great and mighty things because of him, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He is our strength. He makes us mighty. It is Him that does the work. 
So I want to encourage you tonight, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be mighty men and women of God. Come from being miserable. Maybe you're in a place of just feeling you can't make it to a place of being mighty because God said his strength is made perfect in our weakness and his strength will sustain us and see us through. Amen.